Okay, well, good evening. We're glad that you're uh, with us tonight, and we're uh, appreciative to God, thankful for the opportunity to come together once again upon this, the first day of the week, to worship God, to give Him exaltation, to give Him praise and honor, and to study from His Word. And we want you to get your Bibles and follow along as we're going to look at a very important topic, uh, interesting topic, but an important topic for us to think about. We're going to talk about sins that crucify Jesus. Sins that crucify Jesus that is the sins that led to his death. And so we hope that you'll get your Bibles. Follow along. We're always encouraging people to get their Bibles, following along. Why? Because that's our manual. That's our guidebook. I mean, that's, that's our roadmap. That, that explains the things that we need to know and uh, what we need to understand. And so we encourage you to get your Bibles, follow along, have any questions. Happy to look at those questions and open the scriptures together. All right, talking about sins that crucified Jesus. Here's one of the sins that crucified Jesus. Greed crucified Jesus. Let's look over here in Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26, as you think about Judas Iscariot and what he did and uh, his sin of greed that was involved. It says in verse 14, Then one of the twelve called Judas Iscariot went unto the chief priests and said unto them, What will you give me? And I will deliver him unto you. And they coveted with him thirty pieces of silver. And from that time he saw opportunity to betray him. Thirty pieces of silver, he would betray the Lord. He was greedy. We know that. Like, for instance, there in John chapter 12, uh, we read about where, you know, Mary, she had this precious ointment and anointed Jesus there. Uh, but then it says, uh, talking about Judas in verse 4, he says, why, why, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? Now, this is an interesting insight, verse 6. This he said, not that he cared for the poor. I mean, he gave the pretense that he cared for the poor, but no, not really. But because he was a thief, and he had the bag and bore that which put therein. That is, he was kind of the treasure for Jesus and the disciples. They had money that people gave to them, and, and they used that for travel expenses and eating, things like that. And so we're given a little insight about Judas, that he was a covetous person, a greedy person. He goes to the chief priest and he makes a covenant, an agreement, a deal for 30 pieces of silver. <clears throat> I'll betray him. And of course, you know what Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 6, that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Well, so it was. It led to the crucifixion of Jesus because of the greed, the covetousness, uh, the avarice of uh, Judas, that he betrayed the Lord. Wow, he sold the Lord pretty cheap, sold out cheap, 30 pieces of silver. That would have been the price of a slave in the first century. Uh, they took the 30 pieces of silver when he brought it back and threw it down when he saw it was blood money, and, and they didn't want to put it in the treasury, and so they bought the field and, uh, to, to, uh, to bury uh, poor people. So greed was one of the sins that crucified Jesus. Let's look a little bit further as we study. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> Study the Word. Let's look here in Matthew chapter 26 now. In Matthew chapter 26, we're going to see that line, twisting, and uh, false witness is another sin that led to the crucifixion of Jesus. Let's hear, look here in Matthew chapter 26. Now beginning in verse 59. 
Now the chief priests and elders and all the council sought false witness against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Yea, though many false witnesses came, yet they found none. At the last came two false witnesses and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. And the high priest arose and said unto him, Answer you nothing? What is it that, they, uh, that these witness against you? But Jesus held his peace, and the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you be the Christ, the Son of God. All right, so you had all these people, they were, they, here's, these were saying this, and these were saying that, and, you know, it was kind of contradictory. And finally, they get two. That's important that they had two witnesses. You had to have at least two or three in a capital case, uh, a capital crime. You need to have two or three witnesses. And that goes back to Deuteronomy chapter, chapter 19. We'll look there in just a moment. And so they get these two witnesses that say, oh, you know, we heard him say, destroy this temple, and I'll build it again in three days. And they put their interpretation and their explanation. And it wouldn't have really made any difference what Jesus said. I mean, these people were bent on destroying him. And they were just, they were happy to listen to these lying witnesses and that would have been suffice for them. But we read in Deuteronomy chapter 19, notice there verse 15, what went, One witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity or for any sin, and if any sin that he, that he sins, at the mouth of two witnesses or three uh, or at the mouth of three witnesses shall uh, the matter be established. And it says if a false witness arises up against him, any man to testify against him which has done wrong, then both the men, uh, both he whom, uh, whom the controversy is, shall stand before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who shall be in those days, and the judges shall make diligent inquiry. And behold, if the witness is a false witness and has testified falsely against his brother, this is interesting, then shall you do unto him as he had thought to do to his brother, so shall you put away evil from among you. So here they get these false witnesses, and they lying, they are twisting, they are uh, misapplying what Jesus says, putting their own interpretation on it, and destruction of Jesus. Now, the interesting thing was that if, and it could have been certainly established, but they weren't interested in truth, but what should have happened to these guys? Well, they should have been put to death. I mean, here they are trying to get Jesus to be put to death. Well, that should befall them. And so, you see, you would be pretty careful before you are lying about somebody, uh, speaking things that are false and twisting and perverting people's words. You would be much more careful about that. But because of their lying, their false witnesses, it caused Jesus to be crucified. Now, lying certainly not of, is not of God because it's impossible for God to lie. John chapter 8 and verse 4 tells us where lying's from. It comes from the devil. When Jesus said, you're of your father the devil, for he is a liar and a murderer. And when he speaks, he, speaks, uh, he, he doesn't speak truth. He, he speaks lies. That, I mean, that's the nature of, of the devil. And so lying is one of the sins that caused Jesus to be crucified. Well, not only greed, not only lying, let me suggest something else that crucified Jesus, that led to his crucifixion, that led to his death, and that was envy. Let's notice back over in the book of Matthew once again. Now let's look at verse 18. Jesus is on trial here before Pilate. And it says in verse 18, speaking about Pilate, for he knew that for envy they had delivered him. 
I mean, Pilate, pretty perceptive, and he's kind of looking around at the Jews and just sort of sizing things up, and like he knew what was going on. It was because of envy. That green-eyed monster, envy and jealousy. You talk about envy and jealousy, they, of course, quite often in the Scriptures, used as synonyms, and, uh, but when they're used together, envy is the stronger term. Uh, jealousy is discontent of the good that befalls somebody else. Envy also has that feeling. But then envy wants to rise up and to destroy and to hurt and to maim. And that, of course, is what they're trying to do to Jesus. And Pilate, you know, he kind of looked around and sizing up, yeah, it was envy that was uh, destroying Jesus, that these people were uh, saying these things. Over in John chapter 11, it talks about this envy that the, uh, the Jews had for Jesus. Notice there in John chapter 11, <clears throat> and there in number 47. Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, What do we? For this man does many miracles. Now, the truth of the matter is, they recognized them as miracles. They should have said, Well, hey, you know, this guy, he, he's like connected with, with God. We, we need to be listening to him. I mean, he has every right to speak. He, he must be a prophet. He must be something special about him because he's able to do miracles. But that, that, that wasn't, you know, that would have been an honest heart, a good heart. They said in verse 38, if we let this uh, thus alone, all men will believe on him. I mean, everybody's going to begin following Jesus and they won't be listening to us. And, you know, we're going to lose our foothold and, and the people that were over. And the Romans shall come and take away uh, both our place and nation. And one of them, named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, You know nothing at all, nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation perish not. So for them, it was just kind of a convenient, uh, convenient thing. Well, we'll just get rid of him. But the driving factor was envy. I mean, we're afraid everybody's going to go after Jesus and they won't follow us. And so envy, it's, it's an evil beast. I mean, I think about Genesis chapter 37 where you had envy among uh, Joseph and his brothers. Or, well, the brothers, not Joseph. He, he was just a young fellow. He was innocent in it. But you know, it talks about how his father made him the coat of many colors, loved him more than other kids. Joseph would have been innocent in that. That wouldn't, that wouldn't have been his fault. That was his dad's fault for kind of exalting him above his brothers. And so it says in verse 4, And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. And then Joseph, he has this dream, and what happens? Well, he tells the brothers. I don't know if maybe that would have been the best thing, but he tells the brothers again I guess he was innocent in that because it was God, the, the one who gave him that dream, which was a forecast of what was to happen there, about how all these sheaves would bow down to him, which representative of how his brothers would someday uh, bow down to him. And, of course, they didn't like that because uh, <clears throat> we read there in number 8, And his brother said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. And then it talks about the stars and the moon bowing down to him. Again, symbolic of how his family would ultimately bow down to him. I mean, just perfect picture of what would come to pass. In verse 11, and his brothers envied him. 
Envy is a green-eyed monster. It's a horrible monster. But it says his fathers kept all these sayings. Well, you know how the story goes on in chapter 37. They, they capture him. They put him down in the pit. They're contemplating about killing him. And they were, well, you know, well, we can't do that. And, and better sense prevailed. And, uh, but then they decided, well, we'll just sell him off into slavery. And so they did. They sold him off into slavery. Well, they're going to have to come up with some sort of, some sort of uh, storyline to tell their father. And so you drop on down in the text there. And they take the coat of many colors and they put this... Uh, kid blood, this goat blood all over it. And, of course, it would have looked bad. And they bring it to, uh, to their father. And they said, well, this we have found. Well, now that, that really wasn't so. You see, they, they're just kind of deceiving their dad about what was happening. You know, we found this. And, I mean, can you recognize it? Well, of course, he made it with his own hands. And so in verse 33 it says, And he recognized it and said, It is, a, it is my son's uh, coat. An evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph is without a doubt torn in pieces. That was his conclusion. There was an evil beast. He, he was thinking maybe it was a bear. Maybe it was a lion. You know, some sort of savage, maybe a pack of wolves or something. Well, it was an evil beast. It was the evil beast of envy. That they rose up to, to slay their brother and sell him into slavery and then to deceive their father and all the other trickery that went on. And they didn't, they held their peace for years. And 20, about 20, 21 years later, well, they would finally see Joseph again. But it was envy. And Pilate recognized it was envy that the Jews uh, was there for Jesus to be crucified. That's one of the sins that crucified Jesus. And then we look at another one, cowardliness. Over in the book of Matthew chapter 27. In Matthew chapter 27, picking up here in verse 19, it says, talking about Pilate, And when he had sat down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have nothing to do with that just man. For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. And the governor answered and said unto him, uh, which of the two will you that I release unto you? And they said, Barabbas. And Pilate said unto him, What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called Christ? And they all said unto him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why? What evil has he done? And they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. Then Pilate saw that he could gain nothing, but rather a tumult, that is an uproar, a big stir, a riot was about to break out. Uh, was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I'm innocent of the blood of this just person, see you to it. You see, Pilate, he, he was the one that was in charge. I mean, he could have said, no, no, you know, we, we can't do this. This is just totally unjust. I mean, he saw that Jesus was innocent. He hadn't done anything. But he sort of bows down to the pressure and, well, his cowardliness led to Jesus being crucified. Well, there's another sin that we might suggest, and that's found in the book of Acts chapter 3. Ignorance led to the crucifixion of Jesus. In Acts chapter 3, Peter preaching here, it says in verse 14, But you denied the Holy One, that is, you denied Jesus, and the just, that is, Jesus was the just one, you denied Him. And you desired a murderer to be granted unto you, that is, you preferred to have Barabbas, this, this troublemaking uh, uh, murderer named Barabbas, and killed the prince of life, 
That's interesting. Jesus is called uh, the Holy One. He's called the Just One. He's called the Prince of Life. Whom God hath raised up from the dead, which we are witnesses. Verse 16. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong. As the man that was lame, that was healed. There in chapter 3. Whom you see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him has given him perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I know that through ignorance... You did it, as did also your rulers. Ignorance. Willful ignorance. We're not talking about somebody that's mentally incapacitated and has, you know, uh, uh, kind of a little short circuit and, and really just can't grasp things. No, it was willfully ignorant. They chose not to know. They could have known, should have known. I mean, I mean the evidence was pretty overwhelming of all the great miracles that Jesus did and the signs that he was able to perform. But it was ignorance, willful ignorance, led to Jesus being crucified. So we look at all the sins that have crucified Jesus so far. All right, greed, lying, envy, cowardliness, ignorance, willful ignorance. All these sins led to the crucifixion of Jesus. But then, let me suggest... Other sins that crucified Jesus. My sins. And not only my sins, but your sins also. Everyone here. All your sins led Jesus to be crucified. I mean, we really, that, that's the ultimate reason why Jesus had to die on the cross. It was because of our sins. And that was the ultimate reason for Jesus going to the cross, that we might find justification. And we have several texts that talk about that, that my sins, your sins, the sins of the world is why Jesus was crucified. Let's notice there in that great chapter, Isaiah chapter 53, the suffering servant of Jehovah. Notice there beginning in verse 5, speaking in the prophecy about Jesus. I mean, you, you, you would think, I mean, Isaiah was right there to live right through the New Testament days. When you read this prophecy, it just, it's, it's just so perfectly uh, spoken of. Verse 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions, Isaiah prophesied. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. You see, Jesus went to the cross because of my sins. He went to the cross because of your sins. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord laid on, him, uh, laid on him the iniquity of us all. He put our iniquity upon Jesus. Our punishment was put upon Jesus. Jesus suffered all these things, died a very agonizing death. Why? Because of our sins. Verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before his shear is dumb, so he opens not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare this genera his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. It was for God's people, the Jews, and for the Gentiles also. And he made his grave with the wicked and uh, with the rich in his death, because he had, no, had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Jesus didn't do any wrong, but yet he's dying on the cross. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. 
You see, he received the chastisement of the Lord for your sins, for my sins, for the sins of all of us, that the Lord bruised him. He hath put him to grief when he shall make his soul an offering for sin. Jesus was our sin offering, our propitiation, our atoning sacrifice. He shall prolong his days, and the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Uh, he shall see the travail of his soul, and he shall be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall my righteous servant justify many? For he shall bear their iniquities. See, Jesus was bearing our iniquities, our sins, my sins, when he went to the cross. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the, uh, with the strong, because he has poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressions, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for transgressors. He bore the sin of many. The sins of the world Jesus bore when he went to the cross. Look there in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul affirms the same fact. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and, which, uh, uh, and which you, in which you stand, by which you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all, which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins. Our sins. All of us. Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. Isaiah 53 is one of the passages that talks about why he died for us. It was for our sins. Our sins caused Jesus to be crucified. Let's look in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God who has reconciled us uh, to himself by Jesus Christ and has given uh, us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Jesus is going to the cross. He, he's being nailed to that, that Roman cross, there to hang, to die, to suffer. Why? For our transgressions, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did uh, beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, uh, Christ's uh, behalf. Be reconciled to God. To me, that, 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 that verse just impresses me. I mean, we're the ones that do the wrong. I mean, your sins, my sins, all of us, the things that we do wrong. I mean, we're the ones that are out with God. And yet he comes begging us to be reconciled. I mean, we, we ought to be the ones that are begging God. Oh, please, please. Please let us be reconciled. Please let us, let us somehow make amends. Let, let's somehow, you know, be at peace. No. God's the one doing the begging. He's begging us. In verse 21, For he made him who knew no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus bore our sins. He took all the sins upon himself to go to the cross in order to offer a uh, sacrifice, an atoning sacrifice, that we might be forgiven, that we might be reconciled. Yeah, we look at all those sins that took place in, in the betrayal and the death of Jesus, greed, lying, envy, uh, ignorance, cowardliness, etc. But really, ultimately, it's our sins that even came to this world. 
If we hadn't done wrong, if humanity had done anything wrong, there wouldn't have been no need to come and offer uh, pardon for sin and reconciliation and dying on the cross because hey, we would have been okay. But the problem is we've all sinned. We've all done wrong. We've all transgressed against God. We all stand condemned. And this was the only way. Now you remember Jesus prayed to the guard, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. There's this cup of suffering. That I won't have to drink the cup of suffering. Well, there was no plan B. This is it. This is the plan. He had to drink the cup of suffering. And so he went to the cross. In the book of 1 Peter. Notice there in the book of 1 Peter chapter 2. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and in verse 24 it says, Who his own self bear, uh, bore our sins in his own body on the tree. That is on, on the cross. That we, being dead to sin, should live under righteousness by whose stripes you are healed. He bore our sins in, the, uh, in his own body. When Jesus was there nailed to the cross and he was suffering and agonizing and in pain and torture and being made fun of and ridiculed and all that. He was, he was, he was there because of his love for us. It was the only way to bring about reconciliation. It wasn't nails that was holding him to the cross. It was love. It was nails. I mean, he could have called an angel. I mean, he could have called more than uh, 12, uh, uh, 12 legions of angels. He talks about there uh, in the betrayal. And he still could have called. But how, how would the plan of God been fulfilled? One angel would have been certainly more than, more than enough, let alone uh, needing 72,000 angels. But he didn't. And he stayed there on the cross until he would ultimately die and to give his life and divine justice would be satisfied. And therefore he paid the debt of our sin. Notice there in the book of 1 Peter 3 in verse 18. For Christ also has once suffered for sin. And boy, did he suffer. He suffered terribly. I mean, it was, it was horrible all that he suffered. It, it was awful. He suffered. He suffered mightily. It says, for Christ also once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. And you could put your name. I could put my name. The just, that is Jesus, died for Danny. You know, and you could just go right around the room and put, everybody could put their name in there. The unjust, that, that's us. Yeah. The just died for the unjust. That he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Jesus suffered. He bore our sins upon the cross. Our sins is what sent him to the cross. That's the whole reason of why he came to this world. Look over there in 1 John. In the book of 1 John, chapter 2 there, in verses 1 and 2, it says, My little children, these things I write unto you that you sin not. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is a propitiation. He's the atoning sacrifice. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus bore our sins. He bore my sins. He bore your sins. He bore the sins of the whole world in going to the cross. John tells us that. And he did that because he loves us and he cares for us. And it's the only way that we can have redemption. And then let's look at one more text in the book of Revelation, chapter 1 and verse 5. As it talks about these greetings from the Godhead, that's talked about in these verses. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness 
and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us, and washed us from our sins with his own blood. Jesus died on the cross, shed his precious blood. And by that blood, we can be washed, we can be cleansed, we can have uh, sanctification, we can have reconciliation. We're enemies with God, now we are reconciled, joined once again with God through this great plan, this great scheme of redemption. Yeah, the sins that crucified Jesus. It was my sins and your sins. And I hope that as we think about this great plan and scheme of God, that we'll put ourselves in this picture. When we think about Calvary, when we think about Golgotha, when we think about Jesus going to the cross, it was because of our sins, our transgressions, that Jesus died. Which leads us right into the invitation. This is the good news. This is what the gospel is all about. When we talk about the gospel, the, gospel, the good news of Christ, this is the good news. Jesus died for our sins. That we could be forgiven, that we could be reconciled. He shed his precious blood, that we could be saved. And so the invitation goes out. God has a plan of salvation, and he's inviting me. Jesus says, Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. There are specific steps that it all begins with the hearing of this good news. There in Acts 2 and verse 22, men of Israel, hear these words. I mean, that was what was proclaimed there at Pentecost the preaching of the gospel, preaching of the good news. Jesus dying for us. Will we believe that message? That's what the jailer was told. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And then we've got to repent. Just as Paul preached there at Mars Hill, that God commands all men everywhere to repent. Would you be willing to turn? Would you be willing to confess faith like the eunuch did? And would you be willing to be baptized for the forgiveness of sins? That's what was said there on the day of Pentecost. When they cried out, men and brethren, what shall we do? When they realized that they were guilty of uh, crucifying the Son of God, what are we going to do? And Peter didn't say, well, there's nothing you can do. I mean, God does it all. and you know, No, that's not what he said. Yeah, there has to be a human response. He says to repent and be baptized, every one of you. Uh, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So what are we going to do? Well, we're going to have to... Uh, Final step, be baptized. Immersion. I mean, the, the, salvation is, is tied in with this Bible baptism that the Lord commands. I mean, Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. In the Great Commission, Mark 16, verse 16. And when we come up out of the, that watery grave, well, we're to grow and just cleave to the Lord and just keep following Him all the days of our life. And then someday, when Jesus comes again, He'll take us home to heaven, the faithful. And if we do err, it's possible, it's not inevitable, but if we do err, we, you know, we leave the Lord, Jesus still loves you, you can still be forgiven, but you're going to have to repent and, and confess and make things right, just like the Aryan Christians did there in Acts chapter 19. Many uh, that believe, uh, they came and confessed and showed their deeds, they, they, they made things right that were involved in the magical arts, and they came back and made it all right with God. You see, it's God's plan to save. God's plan to save. Jesus died on the cross. I mean, we studied about this tremendous event of human history. The, the focal point of what God had to do in order to bring about our redemption, Jesus dying on the cross. It is that good news. And not only did he die, but he was buried and that he raised from, rose from the dead the third day. 
And if we'll just believe upon that, uh, following these simple steps that are described in the Scriptures, you could become a Christian. And if there's some way, somehow, that you need to respond and we could help in any way, please come and let us know as together as we stand and as we sing.